You love the Word? All right. We're going to look at the Christ in Colossians. I really believe most people don't have a full understanding of who Jesus is, who He is, the power of Jesus, the might of Jesus. So we're going to look at it again tonight as we see the awesome facts about Jesus Christ, sort of part two. So let's pray together, and then let's get into the Word. Father, we just thank you for the blessing of God on your Word. Your Word is life, Lord. You said the words I speak are spirit, and they are life. And we pray that, Lord, right now you will speak to us out of your Word. Build us up in the faith. Let us see the power, the might, the width, breadth, height, and depth of Jesus Christ, who he really is. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you. It's good to see so many people here in the middle of the summer just to go through a Bible book. We go through these books because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Not a few pet verses. All of it. And all of it feeds. All of it is to us. It's God's love letter. And uh, so let's look at what we saw last time, quickly, a little brief summary. We saw that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. We talked about how God is an invisible God. We can't see him. He's not material. He's spirit. Jesus said God is a spirit. And that's why those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. And so we need somehow to have a face put on God for us, a smile, something that we could touch and, and see and hear. And that was Jesus. He is the image, the icon, the perfect reflection of God the Father. To know him is to know the Father. Isn't that what he told Philip? And to watch him is to watch the Father. You want to know what God is really like? Just read the red ink. Read the red ink in your Bible. Watch what Jesus did, how he spoke, how he handled people, the way he viewed people. And everything you see him do and say, that is a reflection of the Father perfectly. To listen to him is to listen to the Father. And we also saw that all things were created. The mind blower here. All things were created through Jesus Christ. John said, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right there, John is telling us Jesus was very God. But it doesn't stop there. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made. Can you read this with me? All things were made through Him. This immediately begins to elevate the way we see Jesus. And without Him, nothing was made. Not the birds, not the mammals, not the oceans, not the marine life, not you, not me. Nothing was made independently of Him. So, when the beginning began, He was already there. We're going to look at this tonight even more, in an even more profound way. But in the, when the beginning began, He was there and had always been there. He created everything. Now this time we're going to see that not only all things were created by Him, but also they were created for Him. Now, life doesn't really begin until you realize you were created for God. 
not for yourself. Our culture says, live for you. Live it up. It's all about you. No, it's not. That's a lie. It's not all about you or me. It's all about him. And why were we created? Why are we here? For him. And that's why worship makes sense. He's our God. And guess what? We're not God. We will see in today's study that Jesus Christ both claims the universe and he controls the universe. I mean, when we're done tonight, Jesus is going to be real big in your mind. I really believe we don't do a lot of what we could and should do because we don't have a big enough God in our mind. We need to see how big Jesus really is. Now look at this. Chapter 1, verse 16. Let's read this out loud and y'all preach it to me, okay? For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. You could stop right there and preach a year. That is one of the most profound, what we would call in seminary, Christological passages available to the eye of man. That one right there. If you want to understand who Jesus is, just meditate, meditate on verse 16. Now, on many different occasions throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus made some statements that would have rendered him either insane or truly God. He claimed to have absolute authority and power over heaven and earth. He said things that either crazy people say or truthful people say. But he's the only one in all of history who could have said these things and been truthful. Anybody else that said it was crazy, but not him. Look what he said in Matthew eleven twenty-seven: 27. <clears throat> all things have been delivered to me by my Father. Wow. What does all things mean in the Greek? All things. That's a lot of things. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. What a statement. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Now let's look at another one. Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me. Now think about this, all things have been given to me, and all authority has been given to me. Well, that pretty well sums it all up. There's nothing else that can be given to you but all things and all authority. He's got authority over all things, and all things have been given to him. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, among the angels, cherubim, seraphim, all mankind, Red, white, yellow, black, rich, poor, and below the earth, every satanic spirit. They're all under his authority. Every one of them. Now here's a fact. The whole fabric of the created universe belongs to your Jesus. He owns every blade of grass on the earth. Every speck of cosmic dust in space, he owns it. Every atom in the universe is his, made by him, and it's controlled by him. Kind of hard to put him in the genre of some first century hippie walking around in sandals with long hair saying nice things to people. 
This was very God who invaded planet earth. Because this can only be said of God. He owns every atom in the universe. It's all his. It's all his. You just think you own your house. You just think you own your car. Let him blink your way and see who owns it. Amen? He owns it all, folks. He's allowed us to, to sort of rent it. He's entrusted it to us. That's it. It's a trust. But the ownership goes to him. Every atom in the metal of your car belongs to him. Denial of this, and a lot of people deny it. They say, I don't believe that. Well, denial of this is only allowed for the duration of a brief lifetime. You can spend your life denying it, but you're not going to be given long to deny it. You can deny it for a brief number of years. God will let you get by with that, but guess what? Every man, woman, child, and created thing, including Satan and his demon hordes, will one day bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus owns the universe. It's that simple. So if you want to go around and say, well, it's mine, and he doesn't own it, it's mine, he'll let you say that for a while. But the day will come when you will no longer be able to say that. He won't allow it. Every created thing is going to blurt it out. You are Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to be there when Hitler does it. I want to be there when Mussolini does it. I want to be there when Pol Pot does it. I want to be there when every despot that ever slaughtered large, large sections of humanity, I want to see them have to say it. I want to see every anti-Semite have to say it. I want to see some folks I know have to say it. I want to see everybody say it. But everybody's going to say it. You cannot. He'll let you get by with it for a lifetime and then it ends. You will say it. In the book of Revelation, we're presented with a matchless scene that moves me every time I read it. John is seen weeping because not a single child of Adam's ruined race could be found who was fit to rule the world. And this is early on, Revelations 4 and 5. He's weeping because there's not anyone who can step forward to open the seals. Not anyone. The challenge went forth. Who is worthy to take the scroll and unloose the seven seals thereof? No one came. The call was not for someone who was willing. It was for someone who was worthy. Willing and worthy are two different things. If it had been for the willing, he'd have had millions of people stampeding to open the seals. But when it had to do with worthy, there wasn't one worthy. The call was followed by a deafening silence, and that silence was shattered by a sob. John says, quote, I wept much because no man was found worthy because not a single human being could make the claim I'm worthy enough to open those seals. We're in a fallen race. Then Jesus stepped forth and he held out a nail-scarred hand and instantly the scroll was given to him. Not a question was asked. He simply took the scroll and the title deeds were his. There's only one who is worthy, he who was not born of Adam's race. He had a human mother, but not a human daddy. He was worthy. Why is the universe his? It's his by right of creation. He made it. It's his by right of Calvary. He bought it. 
It's his by right of conquest. He defeated the God of this world, the devil. That's why it's his. <clears throat> now this is what gets me. Not only does Jesus own it all, but he also controls it. Now let me ask you a question before I go to the next uh, words here. How many of you have ever wondered if God was really in charge? Tell the truth. Come on, I have. Come on, rest of you, come on. Don't look at me sanctimoniously. You've had times in your trials when it looked like evil was triumphing and, or your flesh was getting away with, uh, you know, running away with your life and, or some other deal was going, and you wondered, where's God? Can I tell you tonight, emphatically, he controls his world. Now watch this. Read this with me, verse 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. The word is adhere. All things adhere, and he's before all things. These verses in Colossians 1 just blow my mind. You've got to stop and think about what you're reading. Oh, well, what does it mean he's before all things? This incredible statement refers not just to rank. He's certainly before all things according to rank. He's greater in rank than any other created thing. But it also refers to time. He is before all things in terms of time. Notice that Paul uses the present tense, is, rather than was. He did not say he was before all things. But he said he is before all things. So, Pastor Jeff, what does that matter? Let me show you. One time he was replying to the, his critics, Jesus, and, and I thought, they, well, they would have killed him right here if they could have. Because they took this as the highest level of blasphemy. But Jesus made this statement. He said to the Pharisees and Sadducees, before Abraham was, I am. It says right then they picked up stones to kill him. But he slipped away from them because his time had not yet come. Before Abraham was, I am. He did not say before Abraham was, I was. Although that would have been completely true. Before Abraham was, I was. But no, he said, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Claiming to be the great I am of the Old Testament. Now, we, we go over this a lot on Wednesday nights lately in, in the, with passages like this. But here's the deal. Paul is just reaffirming that Jesus was the great I am. Or I should say, is the great I am. He lives in an eternal present tense. Now, now let's just go back for a minute. Think of a time in your past when you were hurt. You made a bad decision or the devil ran a number on your life. Maybe you were abused. You made some decisions that scarred your soul. You lived a lifestyle that really did some damage to you. You know what? Back then, let's say it was 20 years ago. Back then, he am. He was there when you got hurt. He saw it. He watched it. And he already had in his mind a plan for your healing. So when you got hurt, back there, he am. As a matter of fact, he's back there where you got hurt. 
Because Jesus takes past and future and enfolds them into a present tense because he does not inhabit time. He inhabits an eternal present tense. Now, back there, when you got hurt, he am. Right now, as you're going through healing, he am. And 10 years from now, when your healing is all done and complete and you're skipping down the road and it's a finished deal, he am. He inhabits your past, he inhabits your present, and he inhabits your future all at the same time. So when Paul says, when he uses that present tense, when he says he is before all things, he's using the same concept of the I am. He is before. He could have said he was before, but he said he is before because Jesus always is. Do you get it? I know it's hard to wrap your mind around, but Jesus always am. He is the great I am. So way back there, how far back can we go? How far back can we go? Well, the Jews understood perfectly that Jesus was claiming equality with God, claiming that he, the Jesus of the New Testament, and the Jehovah of the Old Testament were one and the same, and they were both before all things. He is before all things. Let's travel back in our thoughts, back to Abraham who lived 4,000 years ago. He am. Back to Noah. He was there. Back to Adam. What did it say? Let us make man. He was there. Involved in the creation of Adam. Back to that awesome moment when the silence of eternity was broken with a rush and a roar as God began the creative process. He was there. Back to a time when not even the rustle of angels' wings. And when I thought about this, this is what really got me. Before the angels were ever created, Jesus am. He was there. That's why I always tell you, God never says, oops. And God never says, well, I'll be. You know why? Because he knew it was coming before it ever arrived. And he has always been and always will be. This is where our minds really can't travel. Because we're finite. And we, everything we know has a beginning and an end. But not with God, there was no beginning. Not with Jesus, there was no beginning. He was not created like the angels. He always was. So he is back there, now, and in the future. And anybody that ever makes less of him than that, you need to look for the exit door. Because this is what the cult's doing. This is what the Gnostic cult was doing to the Colossian church, which is why this letter was written. They were marginalizing the person and the work of Christ. And Paul said, no way. And what Paul is saying right here blows the Gnostic false teaching right out of the water. Let me tell you the truth about Jesus, Paul is saying. There's Jesus before all things, dwelling with the Father and the Spirit as their eternal co-equal, God the Son. Powerful stuff. We worship a mighty Christ. 
we worship a stunning, awesome, amazing, startling. I can't find enough adjectives. He's just, he's, he's way beyond what most people understand. Go to the street and say, what do you think? Oh, Jesus was a nice guy. He was one of many great world religious leaders. Bunk. They can't even stand in the same realm of space as him. Not Mohammed, not Buddha, not Confucius, you name it. Mm -mm. Our Jesus was very God, wrapped in skin, invaded planet earth to deliver us from what Satan had done to the human race. Now, Paul's going to go even stronger here. Next, he informs us that by him all things consist or cohere. Wow, what does that mean? Well, by Jesus, everything is held together. It's just that simple. You know, we say to people, get a grip. He's already got a grip. <laughs> Seriously. Let's talk science for a minute, all right? Let's just talk science. Real easy science here. Consider the center of the atom. This is what we know. 21st century scientific knowledge. The atom contains protons, and all of those protons are positively charged. Well, you say, well, big deal. Here's the point. One scientific law states that like charges repel. How many of you have ever gotten two magnets and try to push them together, the positive and the negative side, or the two positive sides? Try to push those two positive sides together, and it, it wasn't it cool the way it put something invisible pushed them apart, and you couldn't put them together. The two positive sides you could not put together. It was an invisible something that kept them from being able to push together. You know why? Because like charges repel, but those protons inside the atom are all positive charges, and they don't repel each other. They don't push each other apart. And for years, scientists referred to the force that held the center of the atom together as an unknown, mysterious force. How are these positive charges not pushing away from each other? Why are they defying scientific law? To study the center of the atom, they built a 600 million, boy, I could use that myself. What a church we could build. A $600 million research center has been built in Virginia, among other things, to try to find out why that is. Physicists wanted to look inside the basic components of matter to try to understand what binds protons together, what makes them cohere instead of push each other away, like magnets, which is what they ought to be doing. We do not yet know what makes everything hold together. But Paul tells us who is holding it together. And not just the atom. He holds together all of the galaxies of space. The forces of motion, magnetism, gravity, electricity, all the awesome machinery of the universe is held in balance by Him, by His Word. Now, folks, this is by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote this down. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. It is theonoustos, breathed out by God. This is truth, breathed out of, of the, the mouth of God. 
And what did he say? He said, my son holds it all together with his word. Everything. If Jesus spoke one word, we would evaporate. The atoms would turn loose of each other, and we would be in a holocaust. Countless stars and their satellites travel at inconceivable velocities on prodigious orbits, bodies of enormous size and mass fueled by fires burning at unbelievably hot temperatures and are rushing through infinite space but they're all controlled by the Word of Jesus. That's why I say fear Him. Not in a bad way, but in a respectful, awesome way, fear the Lord. These people go around using His name in vain, putting Him into horrific, horrible works of art, calling it art when it's blasphemy, mocking him, ridiculing him, saying things against him, spitting on him, cursing him. Oh, what a judgment is coming. Because this Jesus that we're looking at tonight is awesome, is in control, owns it all. And he's coming back. And when you look at this, is it really so hard to conceive that he could speak and the dead would come out of their graves? When you look at the one who has this kind of power... That's nothing to him. The vast universe in which we live is maintained by a very delicate balance. Life as we know it can exist only within a very narrow margin of temperature. If it was to get a little bit hotter for a little bit longer, the whole world would become a vast arid desert. That's a fact. If it were to get colder for a little longer, the whole world would become a frozen Arctic. This is why I don't believe in global warming. Global warming is a hoax. You know why I don't worry about it? Because he's got it all in the control of his word. And the Bible's already told me what it's all going to come to. You talk about global warming. Take a look at hell. Someone set the thermostat. Someone set the thermostat on this earth. That someone was Jesus. And you know what? His nail-scarred hand remains on the dial. That's why I'm not afraid of global warming, global freezing, global anything. Jesus perfectly revealed his control over nature and the universe during his earthly ministry. He totally controlled nature, folks. All the forces of nature responded to his mighty voice. Water turned to wine at his command. Fish hurried in Simon Peter's net at his word. Loaves and fishes multiplied in his hands. Raging seas and howling winds rested and receded at his order. An unbroken colt submitted instantly to his touch when he was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. A glance from him and the rooster crowed. He walked upon the waters as if they were cement. He walked through closed and locked doors and then ate fish on the other side. Who are we following here? God wrapped in skin. God. And nature obeyed him. He created the universe. He claims the universe. And he controls the universe. 
thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, space, matter, time, all those things are in his hands. I would love to teach this in a university. Oh, they'd boot me out for sure, but I'd, I would love to just let it go with something like this in a university, these great thinkers, these intellects. Just say, let me tell you about the greatest intellect that ever lived. His name was Jesus. And, and you would never want to go up against him in a debate, I assure you. And he was God. So why pay the slightest attention? Paul is saying to the Colossian church, why pay the slightest attention to the ramblings of these false Gnostic teachers? Paul Ask them straight out, what are you doing listening to them when you serve a Christ like this? Now he's going to shift gears. Paul shows that Jesus heads up a new body, you, the church. Read it with me, everybody, can you? Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, having grown up around churches, most of us here in the West had churches everywhere on every corner. Most of you got, grew up in a church of some kind or another. We get so familiar with it <clears throat> that we fail to, to realize what the Bible tells us about the power of the local church or just the church universal. For into these spheres in the heavenlies, the spheres of the principalities and powers, thrones, dominions, as they engage in ongoing spiritual warfare, God has injected a brand new creation, the church. Brand new. Ecclesia, called out of. Those called out of. That's you. You are called out of the world into the kingdom of God. Ecclesia. There was no such thing as a church until Jesus came. And Jesus said, on this rock, the rock of revelation that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my ecclesia, my church. And the gates of hell are not going to be able to stop it. The church is a force with which to be reckoned, both on earth and in the heavenly realm. We can easily imagine the setting I can just imagine this letter being taken to the Colossian church, smallest, most insignificant church in the New Testament, the church at Colossae. And here comes the reader. All the folks have gathered to hear this new letter from the great apostle Paul. And there among them, listening to what he's writing, are these Gnostic cultists, these false teachers. And as he begins to read, Epaphras begins to read this letter, they are filled with dismay and shame because it's blowing out of the water everything they ever taught. See, what had happened, remember, Satan had concocted a dangerous mix of Greek philosophy, Jewish religious tradition, and Christian truth. And here's how Satan destroys churches and destroys theology by mixing it with other things. It's always a mix, a lethal mix. Well, a little bit here, a little dab of this, a little dab, dab of that, a little dab of New Age mysticism with a little dab of Christianity, and how about a little bit of Buddhism and a little bit of this and that and the other, and why can't we all just get along, and why can't we just mix all these beliefs into one great big happy belief? Mm-mm. Because you ruin the purity of the Word of God, and it's happening right now in our country 
with Christian teaching and Christian doctrine, Christian theology, huge attempts to mix it with other religions, Islam among them. And let me tell you, you can't mix Islam with Christianity any more than you can mix oil with water. There's no way. Or with Buddhism or anything else because this, the Bible in your hand, is given to us by God. It's pure. It's undiluted. It's unpolluted. But they had already gotten a poisonous brew here in Colossae. Now, in the midst, as the letter was read, sat these cultists. Clever, cunning, no match at all, though, for the greatest intellectual of all time. And it wasn't Plato, and it wasn't Aristotle, and it wasn't any other thinker that ever trod the earth. Next to Jesus, the Apostle Paul was the greatest intellectual of all time. Easy. Not only was he brilliant, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. As the first chapter was read, the cultists were filled with dismay. Paul's response to their heresy blew it all out of the water, but things only got worse for them as the letter turns from the place of Christ and creation to the place of the church in redemption. The Lord Jesus is not only God's firstborn from the dead, but he's the church's head. He's the church's head. He is the head of the body, the church, Paul says. Now, let me put this passage this way. He is, Jesus is, he is undeniably and evermore the head, the inspiring, controlling, deciding, and sustaining power of the body, which is linked to him, the head. And the church is the instrument through which he asserts his headship on earth and in the heavenlies. We are the extension of him. He is the head. No sovereign pontiff, no pope, no patriarch, no priest, no pastor is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of his body. He's the head. Well then, what is the church? Is the church some vast religious system of multitudes of different denominations, sects and branches? No, that is not the church. That's religion. The Bible compares the church to three different things, and we're going to go through these quickly and close. Here it is. First, the church is likened to a building of which Christ is the foundation. It is a building not made with hands. No man built the church. It's built by the invisible hands of the living God. All right, we're a building. The church, the building, is composed of living stones. Born-again people. People quarried out of nature's dark, deep mind, shaped and fashioned by the Holy Spirit and placed by Him on the rock, Jesus Christ. I, I got to think of David. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. And He brought me up also out of a horrible pit when I was lost. And he set my feet upon a rock. His name is Jesus. And he established my goings. And he put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear the Lord. See, we were lost, now found. Blind, now see. Dead, now alive. He quarried us out of the earth. The lost world 
and set us on the foundation stone of Jesus Christ. Everybody in here is a brick. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a pretty brick. If it's a guy, say, you're a handsome brick. Now turn to the other side and say, you do be a brick. You're saved. How many of you in here are saved by the blood of the Lamb? All right. You are a stone, a brick in the building called the church, and we can't do without you. That makes you relevant, important, meaningful, purposeful, full of destiny. As each and every part of a building comes to rest upon the same foundation, so each and every believer rests upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, security, and support. People say to me, well, he's just a crutch to you. I say, you got that right. I'm, a, I'm not afraid to say he's my crutch. That is, I lean on him. He's my support. He's my rock. He's my shield. He is my strength. He is my life. I don't care about that. It's true. What are you standing on? Are you smoking it, shooting it, snorting it, drinking it? What is it? As every part of a building has its proper place in relation to the whole, so every believer has his proper place in the church and with every other believer. You matter. This is why we say that there are no Lone Ranger Christians disconnected from a local church. Well, I go to church on TV. No, you don't. You get a little bit of church. You, you get some teaching, but... You can't touch them, they can't touch you. If you die, they can't bury you. If you want to get married, they can't marry you. And they don't know you, and you don't know them. We all need each other. Secondly, the church is likened to a bride who has Christ for her groom. The church is viewed as a lovely woman of unblemished character and great beauty. That's the church. She's dressed in the righteousness of Christ, a white gown. And her destiny is to live and reign with him forever. You're the building of God. You're the bride of Christ. You're the Lord's building. You're the Lord's bride. And all of his resources are hers. No wonder the hosts of hell tremble at the side of the church. You know why? She has the ear of the king. Let me, let me tell you something. Nobody has my ear like Kathy. I don't care what meeting I'm in. If she calls... I get up, I walk out, or I take the call. We have this understanding. There's no more important person can call me but her except him. So when the phone rings, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, if the phone, if there's a message that says, I've got to talk to you, everything, no, nothing else matters as much to me. She gets my attention. She has my ear. Why? Because she's my bride. Now, you know why Satan fears you? You've got his ear. You know why? Because you're his bride. <clears throat> Sitting in the office the other day, and Kathy, she's taking her picture that I have of her that I put up there, and she's putting it underneath and putting something else up there that somebody gave us. And I said, what are you doing? Oh, somebody gave us this, and I just want to put it right here. I said, you're not putting your picture down there. She said, why? It's my picture. I said, no, no, that's my picture. I want it right where I can see it, right there. And she said, oh, that's just so sweet. 
I scored. Let me tell you, it, it was a good. <laughs> That's so sweet, but it was true. I don't want her picture taken down. I want to be able to see it right there. If I do that, being imperfect, what do you think Jesus looks at you like? I want their face right there. I want their picture right there. They've got my ear anytime they call. That's why Satan starts shaking when you start to pray. Now, finally, the church is likened to a body with Christ as the head. Building, bride, body. A body is composed of many members, some more visible than others, but all uh, important in their place. All share a common life, the life of Christ, and all are constantly washed by the life-giving blood. So also is the church, the body of Christ. The Bible says when one hurts, all hurt with it. When one rejoices, one part of the body, all the other members are supposed to rejoice with them. When I was a kid, I was on skates. And I roller skated everywhere. But I got in my garage one day, and I reached up to lower the garage door. And my skates started slipping. So I grabbed onto the side of the bar as it came down. And it just took my finger like a pair of scissors and sliced it stem to stern. Now, my finger didn't hurt alone. My whole body came to attention. Whoa! I looked at it. I remember I just screaming and crying, falling all over the place on my skates, trying to get to the door so Mama could see what I'd done. Took me to the doctor, 21 stitches down one finger. Shots. Let me tell you, my body, my brain, my head, my arms, my legs, my feet, everything felt the pain of that one finger. And then I remember the miracle, going to the doctor. He undid, a few weeks later, undid it, pulled those stitches out, and it was healed. And you know what? My whole body rejoiced. All right. <laughs> now, that's the way it's supposed to be with the body of Christ. If you're hurting, we all hurt with you. We feel it. But when you get healed, hallelujah, glory to God. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're the body of Christ. So say with me, the building, the bride, the body made of many members but mystically united to Christ by the baptism of the Spirit black white yellow red rich poor blue collar white collar educated uneducated doesn't matter we're all the same at the foot of the cross it was this headship of Christ over the mystical body the church the Gnostics denied and that Paul here establishes Paul declares bluntly that as Christ was the lawgiver in creation who established each and every law that governs the universe he's the life giver in redemption in a relation to the church. And so next time, we're going to talk about our great reconciler. Don't miss next time. It is so strong. Let's stand up together, can we? Yes. We're not finished yet? I'm finished. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, okay. Well, what do you want me to do? Okay. <laughs> well, I'll get up here. There you go. Hey, it's not very often that we get to spend our pastor's birthday night with him. You know, yeah. how awesome is that? 